Welcome to episode 469 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a great conversation with novelist, screenwriter, professor, Aaron Philip Clark. We talk with Aaron from his place in Los Angeles, California, about his most recent book titled Under Color of Law. We discuss his time as a recruit in the LAPD, police brutality, Black Lives Matter, revenge and justice, trying to find a place to put anger, black police officers, and what's next? A great conversation with Aaron Philip Clark this go-round. We have an EW essay titled Birdsong, and we share a short essay from the March 2021 edition of The Sun magazine, written for its Reader's Right section, titled Mail by an anonymous writer, and we have a poem called Pink Sundress. All of this, of course, will be imbued, infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it then. Episode 469 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Coming through 
Song. Wim Wenders and front yard spinners on this quaint spring day just between April and May. I am not sure how long I can stay. The contours of the mountains that surround this community change with plain sight depending on the sunlight. I look at them every day as I am certain many humans have done before me and will after me, and are doing right at this moment, too. What is this all for, as I walk out the door into it, believing and perceiving? I before E, except after C, one plus one plus one is three. Be all you can be. Heaven, hell, nirvana, the stock market, my siblings, my parents, neighbors, baseball teams, firehouse pizza sales, bombs and mass graves in and around Kiev, babies and shopping carts, beautiful weather woman wearing tight blouses, chaps and Botox, bridges and roadblocks. Champagne and blood-stained tents in mass unit triage. Our state of consciousness is beyond just first-hand experience or what one might imagine. I suppose this all has an objective state without a defining love, passion, apathy, fear, or hate. I can somehow understand the bird song is genuine, beautiful. The pain in my shoulder is visceral. The anguish in my mind and soul know there is more 
yet too often has such difficulty finding a way home. Though I know that we, you, me, are already there, here, despite the joy, the melancholy, the smiles, the tears.
Hello, is this Aaron Philip Clark? Yes, it is. Thank you so much for being on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Before we get started, let me share a little bit of background information for our listeners. Aaron Philip Clark is a native of Los Angeles, California. He is a novelist and screenwriter, a self-described, quote, son of the city. Clark takes pleasure in exploring the many facets of Los Angeles and enjoys hiking in the San Gabriel Mountains. His most recent novel, Under Color of Law, is inspired by his experiences in the LAPD and was published by Thomas and Mercer back in October of 2021. Again, a real pleasure to have you on the program. How are things going today in L.A.? <laughs> Uh, you know what? It's it's not too hot. Uh, we just got over uh, um, a strange bout of about 90 degree uh, weather, which normally sets in much later. So to have that in April is a little odd. Um, but uh, today we're back to normal. Um, you know, nice sunny day. Can't complain. That's great. Yeah. We're, I'm out on the other side of the country. And, uh, you know, it's it's a little muggy and humid today, unseasonably. But uh, I don't mind. You know, uh, we, we had a long winter over here. I don't know. You guys, a little milder. Oh. Yeah, we actually didn't get uh, too much rain, um, which, uh, unfortunately, we always need. But um, I think we had uh, kind of minor rainfall and, um, you know, the drought situation here is is what we contend with. Oh yeah, oh definitely. Yeah, it's uh, there's so many things to talk about, and uh, I'm sure you're well versed in all of them. But uh, right now, we want to focus primarily on you as a, as a novelist, as a person, and uh, your book, your newest book. I think this is this your fifth. Uh, the fourth book. Fourth, yeah. fourth. I'm getting out ahead of you. Well, I'm sure you'll have a fifth <laughs> shortly. Uh, your fourth book and uh, some really good reviews I'm reading. Uh, it, it, you know, so my, my compliments. Um, thank you, thank you. And it, as I mentioned in the bio, it stated that you uh, you got a lot of uh, the fodder for this book from your experience with the LAPD. So, were you a police officer? So, no, I was actually a, a recruit. So I was a recruit in um, July 2014. Uh, that was the, the class I, I entered. And um, I ultimately uh, had left due to an injury. And um, during kind of my recovery period, uh, you know, life life gets in the way. And I didn't ultimately return uh, to the police department and decided to uh put my energy into writing again. I had only taken a short break um, to enter the department from writing. Um, and so I, I ultimately went back to that and focused on focused on writing and then also returned to higher education. So I went back to uh, teaching English and um, uh, humanities uh, on the college level. Great, great. And, uh, you know, I think I read that you spent time in one of your books, The Settings in Philadelphia. Did you live in Philly for a while too? I did. So I lived in Philly uh, from 2002 to 2005. And so I was going to uh, school there. And that's actually where, that's the setting for my for my first novel, uh, The Science of Paul, is uh, set in Philadelphia with a little bit of, of 
the opening is in North Carolina, but essentially it's it's a Philly noir uh, novel. That's great. That's great. You know, I, this is going to be interesting to you. Maybe uh, you went to the University of the Arts, if I'm correct, if I remember correctly. I did, yeah. And my my eldest son graduated from the University of the Arts, and my daughter right now, my oldest daughter is there studying. So. Oh, yeah. very cool. Yeah. Okay. What's the what's your son's major? His was uh, musical theater. Okay. Yeah, and my daughter's uh, straight acting. Straight. Okay. Yeah. I'm, very cool. What, did you study writing or uh, acting or theater? What did uh, What did you study when you were at the University of Arts? I'm curious as to how it informs what you're doing today. Well, I was studying, uh, so they had a program, it was writing for film and television. And I think now it's called writing for film, TV and media. But um, yeah, part of that program, you know, it was a a screenwriting program, but it was also um, a program that kind of, the skills we learned allowed for, you know, you to have, I guess, a plethora of careers, um, you know, writing for, for TV and film, but also uh, media communications and, and things like that. So yeah, I was I was uh, part of that program, and then we also part of that we we I had already gone to film school, but part of that program too we we um, I think there was like a, a film elective that that we had as well. Um, but yeah, I mean it was a a rigorous writing program um, for sure, and uh, definitely learned a lot um, in the, those three years. So you're, uh, in my view, based on what a little I've read, but I'm going to read more. Uh, so maybe I'm 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 totally off base. But you're you're an activist and you're an artist. It seems to me, as well as an educator, which are, I think an educator is a way to make money when you're an activist and you're an artist. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Well, I would say, yeah, I would say that uh, I don't know how as activist is such a. a I don't know, quite sure how to define that. I mean, in just in terms of uh, using, I would say using my platform as a writer uh, to call call attention to, um, you know, plethora of issues. I don't, I, it may be generous to call me an activist. I think if anything, I, I you know, I, if, I'm, if I have the opportunity to speak on uh, a variety of issues, um, you know, that I that I feel comfortable with and 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 have experience with, um, you know, than than I do, and I also um, do uh, quite a bit of consulting for nonprofits and um, outreach uh, in that way for for causes that that I I feel very strongly about. So when when we look at the title of your latest book, Under Color of Law, very provocative title. Uh, what what does it mean? So it actually is a um, legal uh, legal term. So in the sense that under color of law is part of a statute within the um, different laws within the Justice Department that basically say that it's an enhanced penalty if someone who was in the position of authority, so that means police officer, or any sworn individual who can use their their legal authority um, to essentially or use their legal authority or commit a crime within that capacity. So, um, you know, if it's a police officer who does something while operating as a police officer um, and there's enhancement there in terms of, uh, you know, felony enhancement, 
um, when it comes to to prosecution and sentencing. So, um, you know, that without giving a whole lot away, I mean, in terms of the of the book, that's kind of a, a nod or a hint to really what the story is about. It seems um, uh, a common th- trend or thread in, in uh, several of your novels is it's it's kind of like a, an ex-con who, as they move on with their life, starts to try to make make a positive difference in the world. Um, is that is, is that something that intrigues you? Is that something that you've witnessed? Well, yeah, for for the science of Paul, yeah, I mean, it definitely. You know, it centers on Paul Little, who who was an ex-con um, or is an ex-con, and he finds himself trying to start anew. I think that that is a, a thematic thread through a lot of my work, just in terms of characters who are coming to to having to deal with um, their past, and either it's choices that they made, or levels of trauma, or uh, just experiences that shape them um, that might have been negative, but essentially them having to face those traumas. And in this case, for Under Color of Law, uh, my tra- uh, my character Trevor Finnegan, you know, he's a rookie detective, but he comes from this background of, of law enforcement. And he has kind of different degrees of trauma that he experienced in his young life um, that led him to become a police officer. And so he's forced to have to contend with those um, because it's so connected to a case uh, that he's trying to solve. And and it's the case of a, of a murdered uh, recruit who obviously has very similar similarities to himself, very similar um, in many respects, but he has to overcome his own path, his own past, and kind of confront those demons if he wants to solve this this case and bring about justice. And, and the demons, I guess, are connected to uh, guilt or fear that, uh, based on what he has experienced himself, or what he has, you know, what has been done to him, or what he's done to people in the past. Yes, I think it's a combination. Um, you know, they, as they say, hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the idea that he uh, has gone through, you know, family trauma and then ultimately becomes a police officer and allows something to happen um, that he felt like he was not in a position to stop. He felt like he didn't have the authority to prevent uh, something and you know and and it opens it is it's within the opening of the of the book but later within the story we learn how he kind of pivots and uses that experience in that situation for his own benefit with the idea that if he can become police chief that he's going to have all these sweeping reforms and he's going to be put in a position where he can really enact change within the department and as they always say, best laid plans. I mean, that's mm. not what what really comes into fruition for him. But we also that that's it's it's a it's one of those things that we do when we try and sell ourselves um, on this idea that yes, what I'm doing is not necessarily good or the moral thing to do. However, I'm going to use this uh, 
as a springboard to put myself in a position where I can have, can I, where I can enact positive change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's one of the, <laughs> the many lies that, that he tells himself uh, within the, the course of the novel. And all of them slowly start to unravel and he's faced with the realities that, you know, there's consequences to all actions um, and that those, the, essentially the bill comes due, you know, much later. But uh, it's definitely, it definitely comes due. Yeah, yeah. You know, it sounds like um, someone trying to convince themselves that the the means, regardless of how undesirable, justify the end. Are, yes. Right? Very, very justify, so. so, or justified at the end is probably a better way of putting it. Um, the end justifies the means. I think I said it backwards. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the end justifies the means. Uh, so, you know, you're you're dealing with some eternal sort of um, slippery slopes that we humans are always treading on. And uh, um, I wonder what brings you there as a person, as a, as a novelist. You say that uh, your time with the LAPD sort of informs under color of law. How, how is that the case? Did you witness something similar or? Well, you know, I went in... Uh like I said, in 2014. So that was shortly after uh, Eric Gardner, uh, who was ultimately um, choked. And, uh, you know, it was essentially by legal terms, it was a homicide by NYPD. Mm-hmm. Um, for cigarettes, and, for selling single cigarettes, loose cigarettes. Yes, for selling the, yeah, the what, what I guess on the East Coast, they, they call it Lucy's. So, you know, single c- cigarettes, um, and uh, and essentially, right, he was that was what they had accused him of. Of course, there was, there was different accounts of that um, as to what he really was doing on the corner. And, and, and the fact that they they knew he was known to do that, but what, whether or not he was doing it at that time is still up for debate. But nevertheless, the you know, the result ended in, in his death for something that just shouldn't have, have occurred. Then you also have Michael Brown. Um, and so you have the series of, of deaths of, uh, unarmed young black men and, or unarmed black men. And, you know, I went in to the Academy at a time where these were being debated behind closed doors. And so I say that because, you know, in my experience there, there is almost like this, uh, this mythological belief that police just don't talk about these things <laughs> you know that that somehow it's the media that talks about it but oh police are just out there doing their job well no they have these conversations these conversations exist they just are not put on a platform um you know unless you hop on one of these police blogs or something but um you know for me going in in that environment uh really really did shape under color of law because i wanted to capture that feeling. And so there was this almost um, unspoken, um, unspoken rule that you didn't, that they didn't really want to hear anything that had to do with um, police brutality or anything that had to do with what was going on, uh, what was being discussed uh, in the media. It was this idea that when you come to work at the academy, um, 
you know, we're here to train and it's this focus on everything is just by the book. But they couldn't help because of the environment we're in. You couldn't you couldn't prevent those discussions from happening. And so uh, the when those discussions did come up, the response to it was, well, this is no place for politics. However, it was a place for education and, and being an edu uh, educator going in, in my my mind, I was thinking, well, this is exactly the place you would want to have these discussions because these are the folks who are going to, I mean, we're going to be out on the street and we're going to encounter all types of things. And we having these discussions will help make sure that everyone understands what is legal, but also how to approach situations if you see another officer who's doing something that is not within policy um, and, and it, it may not be legal. And so, you know, when, the, when those questions came up, they were quickly kind of shut down. And I think that, you know, to this day, I feel like that was a, a huge miscalculation um, and misopportunity for teachable moments within the academy. Um, and, you know, this was 2014. So hopefully things have, have changed in, in, in terms of curriculum and, a, and approach to training and teaching. But... You know, I wanted within the book to capture that kind of environment, the idea that, you know, everyone had their own opinions on different, uh, you know, on different things and different cases. And it was really you started to see splintering. You started to see a lot of splintering in terms of of, you know, what now what we get later, much later, uh, where we really see that, that is politicized. But you started to see the beginning of that um, in 2014, where it's really becoming extremely politicized and, um, you know, certain things that even my training officers would say kind of would, they would tip their hat to a certain, uh, a, a certain belief, um, you know, that later we saw kind of aligned with some of the things that we saw in the 2016 election um, and ultimately later. Um, but you started to see the, the beginnings of that. And so, you know, within the, the book, I wanted to have Trevor Finnegan in that the early stages of that environment, um, and and that added a, a nice level of conflict uh, because it became um, difficult for him to really see where he fit in that kind of that splintering, that kind of uh, over politicized uh, department that was forming. So he's a cadet, and uh, and is there. I, I hear everything you're saying. I, I think you're alluding to, or we could categorize it to a certain extent. There are many other ways uh, and groups and movements that we can point to. But I, I, the first thing that pops to my mind is Black Lives Matter, and and how yeah, that yeah. that become that becomes or became still is a polarizing sort of idea, or even just the acronym BLM. You know, it could be Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter, uh, right. and. Um, when you're talking about Finnegan, is is he? I'm, I'm, race is a component, I would imagine, of all of this, right? Yes. A factor. Is is Finnegan uh, Caucasian? Is he a person of color? Yeah. So Trevor Finnegan is a is a young black man, um, a young black uh, rookie detective. I mean, he's actually a, a detective, uh, the detective two, and there's uh, three levels of that. But um, he, this is kind of his first solo uh, solo case, and he he comes from a family. I mean, his father was LAPD, and his father 
retires and then decides to join Black Lives Matter and start to uh, protest because his father has his own guilt about things that he did uh, while in uniform. And so this creates a very difficult situation for Trevor, who you know has this very outspoken father who is known within the department, and it's a level of embarrassment there. Now, Trevor doesn't necessarily believe his father is wrong when it comes to what his father is protesting. He just doesn't agree with the way that he's going about it and is essentially wanting his father to be proud of him for the success that he's garnered because he becomes a detective while his, his father ultimately uh, had remained a beat cop. And much of what Trevor does is to garner some sort of acclaim um, from his father. And he wants that, you know, attaboy or that pat on the, on the back. Um, so there's a lot of things that fuel Trevor's decisions, uh, you know, and, and ultimately that slowly kind of gets broken down where he cannot he can no longer hide behind that kind of blue wall or feel like he is truly a part of the kind of blue lives matter mentality because he isn't, um, you know, for him, if he's out of that uniform, he doesn't have that badge, mm -hmm. then he is just another black man who messed who potentially will have to contend with situations that um you know other black men have to deal with who who cannot pull out a badge and say hey i'm a cop um you know and so that becomes kind of the uh kind of the the i won't say it's a hidden conflict but it exists in every scene the idea of whether or not Trevor truly belongs and what that really looks like for a black police officer. Um, and, and in terms of identity, um, is he a, a black man? Is he a black cop? Is he just a cop? You know, there's all these different types of, of, of masks that he kind of has to wear in order to survive. And then there's ob obviously it's what he could have, you know, there's a huge part of the book where, where, it focuses on what Trevor was before he became a cop. And he essentially wanted to be a visual artist. Um, you know, he gets a, he, you know, he's headed off to school. He, his, his goal is to go to Cal Arts. And this horrible thing happens. He has a close friend who is ultimately sexually assaulted. And, and, you know, he blames himself for not being there to prevent it. And that is what sends him on this road uh, to, law enforcement but he comes along he he meets that road through acts of 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 revenge and wanting the person who is responsible to pay um and so you know within the book trevor is really just trying to find a place to put his anger and he sees how his where his father put his anger which was the department and he decides to go along with that and say okay that's where i can put it um, that's where i can make it work for me i could use it so the idea of anger and rage that is almost um, to the point where it becomes a tool. Uh, you know, and I talk about it in the book that, you know, this guttural rage is what really sustains, um, can sustain, you know, those in law enforcement. Because it's not pay. It's not, you know, it's this need for needing to put that rage to use, being angry for whatever reason. Um, there's a plethora of reasons. <laughs> a lot of police officers may be angry. Um, but ultimately, being able to quote unquote use it for the betterment, you know, however that looks, and we all know that that looks a certain way. But 
um, you know, for the betterment of, of society, um, you know, turn it, turn your anger loose on those who deserve it kind of attitude. Yes, I, I, I totally know what you mean. And I, I think you would agree it, that doesn't end well, usually. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, folks, we're talking to novelist, screenwriter, educator, Aaron Philip Clark from his place in Los Angeles, California, about many things, uh, all in the framework of his most recent book, Under Color of Law. And it's fiction, but this is not sounding like fiction. You know, <laughs> and I guess, well, you know, I, yeah. I, I, I take the approach of, uh, there's a writer in the 1800s, uh, his name was, uh, uh, William Russell and he wrote these fictional police procedurals. They were almost like these short little memoirs. They were short stories, but they were, they were almost like memoirs of a cop on the street. And I guess you could almost credit, credit him with being kind of the first rip from the headlines, um, uh, kind of. Uh, writer. And so, you know, for me, I think, I, I, I hope that my writing rings true in the sense that there's a level of realism there. You know, it is fiction, but it, there's a level of realism there um, that I, I really wanted to get right, because having had that experience, I could call on what I was taught um, and my training. Uh, but I wanted to capture what it was like and what it is like for specifically for black police officers and so you know i'm hoping that i hope that the book uh does that i mean the feedback that that i've gotten um you know especially from from those who are in law enforcement and those who had retired um, who are many of them are now writers uh you know have said that to me and said well this could have easily happened um or they could say yeah that yeah, i've had experiences like that or you know, they can say that they witnessed something um, happen and had kind of the same feelings that that Trevor Finnegan had. So, you know, I, I for me, that that is kind of a, the, a high compliment is when someone can, who who worked the job can say, you know, yeah, this was this was, you know, this hit close to home. This was, um, you know, it, it had it had many, many echoes of truth throughout it. Definitely. That's a major compliment. And uh, the book, Under Color of Law, and your other three books can easily be accessed via the normal places, right? Amazon, uh, I'm sure I, I found, I saw them there myself. You can type in Aaron's name, A-A-R-O-N, Philip, P-H-I-L-I-P, and then Clark, C-L-A-R-K. Do a little search, you'll find him, his website. Check out his work. Uh, now, sir... The last couple of moments here, believe it or not, our time has passed for this go round. But I'd love to talk with you again. You're uh, oh sure. You have a lot to offer. I can tell. Any any closing thoughts for the for the listeners as a as an artist, as an educator, as a concerned citizen, whatever you have on your mind. Sure. I mean, I will say that the the second Trevor Finnegan novel uh, will be out November eighth, and that's uh, titled Blue Like Me, um, and that picks up two years after Under Color of Law. Um, and so Trevor has has found himself in a little bit of a, a different role, if you will, a new mandate of trying to help the city um, and, and essentially rid the city of, of corruption, uh, police corruption. But I would like to kind of say with this series that um, 
you know, it, it's it's funny because it's it was billed as kind of a um, a thriller. And while it, I think it is a thriller, I think it is a police thriller. Um, I I look at fiction as hoping to accomplish the three E's, which is entertainment is number one, um, enlightenment and education. And I I hope that this series does that. I hope that people will come away from it saying, you know, having learned something, uh, maybe having, uh, you know, being enlightened, having a moment where they kind of say, oh, wow, I had no clue. You know, I, I, I hope that that's what it that that's what it does. In addition to having just a very thrilling, uh, you know, cop story that takes place all over uh, Los Angeles. I'm sure it does. I can't wait to start reading it myself. Thank you so much, Aaron. It was a pleasure talking with you on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. We'll do it again. Sounds great. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Take care. All right. You too.
And now, a short essay written for The Sun Magazine's March 2021 edition. For its Reader's Write section, the topic addressed for this particular installment of Reader's Write is mail. And uh, the author of this piece is anonymous. Here it goes. My husband and I fell in love through the prison mail. We numbered our letters so we would know if one went missing. 783 from him, 751 from me. Eight years of correspondence. In the early years, we were not allowed in-person visits and were permitted only one 15-minute phone call a month. Mail was our lifeline. My homemade cards, decorated with rainbows, sunrises, mountains, and flowers, helped break the monotony of his life in a supermax prison. Deprived of natural sunlight and fresh air, he enjoyed hearing about even the most mundane details. I once wrote about a leaky toilet and then felt guilty for bothering him with such a trivial problem. He wrote back that my leaky toilet helped him stay connected to the outside world. There were things we couldn't write about because the mail passed through a prison censor. It was humiliating to bare your soul and share your weaknesses, knowing some bureaucrat would scrutinize it. But sometimes I said, the hell with it, and wrote what I needed to write. I kept every letter next to my bed ready to be grabbed in case of fire. As the years passed, one file box became two, then four. Today, under the pretense of eliminating contraband, many prisons contract with private companies to handle mail. After much delay, the prisoner receives a photocopy of the letter for which he or she may be charged. It's one more way of putting money in the pockets of corporations that cage human beings. Some prisons have inexplicably banned colored paper and envelopes. Even off-white may be rejected. Also, photographs and children's crayon drawings. When my husband and I were finally allowed to visit face-to-face, -face, we got to know each other on another level. And when he got home, our relationship shifted again. It wasn't easy, and at times we wondered if it would last, but we've been together for 25 years. We still have those letters. He wants them kept for posterity. I want to destroy them before we die. They were written under the most trying circumstances, not to be shared with anyone. Hello from the room where I'm selling my clothes I still lie from the sun and you're still not approved Pushing the ground so my feet finally moved I was never as big as the world Keep in touch with my man down the hall Who's been pining for days at the loss of his soul 
He was caught up in the laughter of moons And we were never as big as the world Stealing the coins from the pockets of fools Exchanging of hands where the riddles are gold Laughter a currency we'll never afford You were never as big as you were told Through the waves of farewell We're once you were them But now cannot tell Being unsure Of who you are now The world is a liar The stars are a must And the world is a liar, the stars are a must The world is a liar, the stars are a must Pink sundress, tall green grass and leftover jelly beans, colored eggs, rigotta pie, no sausage for me, I am meat free, only fish. Check out the beautiful intellectual dressed casual in a yellow and deep pink sundress with open toe sandals. Her nails painted red, and I wonder out loud what I was conjuring in my head. Regardless, this is marvelous.
And there you have it. Episode 469 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I would like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Aaron Philip Clark, The Sun Magazine, and these musical artists, Thelonious Monk, Silk Sonic, Fox Warren, War, Damien Gerardo, Sugar, Branford Marsalis, and Terence Blanchard, too. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care of yourself and others, too. Toodaloo.